Let's talk about Mary this morning. Have you thought about what a dilemma Christmas brought to Mary? Have you thought about her dilemma? She was young. He's had her whole life in front of her. Quite possibly she was a teen. Scholars speculate and believe that she, because people married in the first century at an early age and they got, uh, it's not uncommon for a teen to be married. She's probably in her teens. She lived in a world that was skeptical of the supernatural, and that was her explanation. She was vulnerable, not unlike us, and desired others to think well of her. She wanted to be accepted. Well, so much for that with virgin birth. She groomed her reputation. She cared about what others thought, and she embraced virgin birth. Going in, she knew it would be misunderstood. No one would get this. Her acceptance of virgin birth and this heavenly visitor were expressions of her faith, and her faith sticks out. That's why Mary is so relevant to us in our day. Her crisis in her day forced her into the decisions that our day forces us into as we think about Jesus Christ. That's why Mary matters. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1, where we look at the history of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and this visitor that explained what was going to take place. I wonder whether we are anything like Mary, crisis or not. This is certainly a full-blown three-alarm crisis for Mary. Luke 1, 26 through 38. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book in the New Testament, in the first chapter. I'll read it to you now from the English Standard Version. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son <coughs> of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? since I am a virgin. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing 
will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Hear the word of the Lord. Now here we have the history of the birth of Jesus. In particular, the description of how Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to understand that the birth of Jesus was going to emerge. I'd like to go two different directions this morning. Number one, how is Mary related to our theme, hope, born in a crisis? In what sense did Mary face a crisis? Let's talk about that a little bit. But secondly, and this is why we are at this passage, what matters do we face when we come to Jesus and embrace the word about him? And the reason we are here is because the matters that Mary faced are in fact the matters that we face in our day. And the question is, are we resolving it in our day like Mary resolved it in hers? Do we have Mary's inherently trusting heart? That's what before us. How did Christmas introduce Mary to a crisis? There are at least two macro points we need to surface about Mary's crisis. First, Christmas is the story of a younger teen confronted with a scandalous pregnancy. Christmas is the story of a younger teen confronted with a scandalous pregnancy. Now, we live in somewhat of a new day today. We've stumbled upon it in our century and in our day, certainly in America and in Western culture. Uh, there's not shame any longer for out-of-wedlock birth. Uh, it's quite common statistically for the number of births. In fact, more births out of wedlock than in wedlock, as I understand. We've come to a new day. God has revealed for our good in the scripture that holy matrimony is to precede childbearing. And by his design, men and women come together in covenant with him in faithfulness, in a picture of the church of Jesus Christ in marriage, and after that, then children come. Now, it's very important in making that point and noticing the scandal of Mary to accent this. Remember when we used to use in one iteration earlier of computing uh, there was an operating system, I remember its name, and I, don't, I didn't even understand it, and, and Jay will laugh at me for even trying to say this illustration wrong, but there was an operating system that, that uh, I called it, it seemed to me, MS-DOS, and it would, I, I knew a few keystrokes and I could get around, and, and it would send me messages once in a while, and, and I would work, I remember several afternoons working for several hours on a document and then just jacking around Fred Flintstone on the computer, messing it up, and then it would send me a message and it would say, this is an unrecoverable error, which meant all the work that I just did the last three hours was gone. It was absolutely gone. Now, it's important to me and to us at Calvary being a grace place to say, that there are 
no unrecoverable errors in Christ. And I don't care where you've been or where you are this morning. Paul said it like this, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So even as we talk about the scandal of out of wedlock birth, it is not an unrecoverable error. And thanks be to God for his grace that just comes alongside of us wherever we are, swallows it up and walks into the future with us as we give ourselves to repentance and faith. I love that about our Lord. I need grace first for myself, and then I love it for others for its enlivening properties. But this is a bona fide crisis for Mary, first century, facing a crisis pregnancy center. You know, pro-life's efforts to get next to... Uh, Mothers in troubling pregnancies, they were called crisis pregnancy centers. They don't call them that anymore. Uh, the Pregnancy Resource Center or Hope Resource Center, and that, 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 that's a good name. It's considered less and less as a crisis by our, our, our culture. According to verse 27, Mary is betrothed. That's the word in the text, betrothed. What in the world is betrothed? Who gets betrothed? Betrothal was a formal, legal, binding arrangement between a couple as they anticipated marriage in the first century. Uh, they would enter covenant to be married. Because morals were so deplorably low, then they wouldn't see each other for one year and be apart and prove their chastity with each other in, in, in the bride not being with child at all. And then... They'd say, we're going to get married some point in the future. The first was the betrothal, and then was the wedding. And the wedding happened when the groom showed up. In the first century, the hero at all weddings was the groom. Nothing happened till he came. Well, ladies, aren't you glad we, you, you had the privilege of being married? Uh, we, 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 in our age, it's the bride. The bride's the hero. And nothing happens till the bride shows up. And the dramatic moment is when the bride shows up at the wedding. Well, Joseph is betrothed to this apparently teenage girl. They're to be Mary. She's called a virgin in verse 27 twice. She calls herself a virgin in verse 34. She's unmarried. She's not sexually experienced or active. She is chaste as presented in the text. One could argue from the Bible, and this is an interesting point, think of this, that she's living just like God intended her to live. Yes, Eric, she is. And then the crisis unfolds. But Eric, I thought if you live like God wants you to live, uh, you stay out of crisis. Uh, please know that in this world we, it, that is broken, we can cultivate faithfulness with our Lord and still face crises. If you're facing a crisis this morning, be of good cheer because we're going to get to verse 37. And uh, God walks with us through this stuff. Christmas is a history of a younger teen confronted with a scandalous pregnancy. Secondly, Mary was called upon to embrace the disgrace of Jesus. This birth would follow Mary and Jesus for all of their days. Thereafter, Mary would be looked at with a John Desai. Oh, yeah, I know you. I know. That, was a, that was quite a yarn you spun about how that happened. I know your type. I know what you're like. In fact, 
In John 8, 41, Jesus is bearing down on the Pharisees and speaking to them. And they stopped him and said this to him, John 8, 41. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And what they were saying is, Jesus, we know about your origin. You trying to be all this holy and tell us stuff. We know who you really are. This would follow Jesus, the ignominy of his birth, or so others thought. This would follow Mary. Here's the deal. The angel comes to Mary and essentially says, Gabriel says, hey, Mary, I got a word for you. You'll be thought of as a wretch and a loose woman. You'll be thought of as unjust, and that will be assumed about you. But it's not like Mary can say, yeah, but you don't understand. This was virgin birth. Virgin birth, that's a one and only. Who's ever heard of that? That's not common. It only happened once in history. I remember preaching on a Christmas message one Christmas in a a guy who had been in public education all his life as an administrator, he ended as a superintendent. He had just finished his run, and he was there. And he accosted me after the service with a real serious look on his brow, and I thought, oh, he must be upset. And he says, hey, I, I'm troubled by what you said this morning. I said, well, what are you troubled about? He says, well, I don't buy that one and only virgin birth thing. And, um, and I thought, oh, here's a, here's a heretic right in our church. i got to straighten this guy out, you know, right now. What? I said, oh, Really? Uh, I said, well, well, tell me about it. He said, well, in public education as a principal at the high school, I heard about virgin birth my whole career, he said, as an explanation for what was going on with the students who needed to address things. Well, he, then he just busted out laughing, but virgin birth is the one and only. Isn't it beautiful, the phrase that is used, the power of God will overshadow you? It's the picture of Psalm 91, uh, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find shelter. It's, it's as if God winged Mary, and as a result of the power of God overcoming her, there was conceived in the womb fully God, fully man, inseparably united without division in one person, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only. And it had to be, remember Da Vinci's hand reaching down, uh, uh, or, or maybe it was uh, oh, the guy who painted the Sistine Chapel, you know, the hands coming together. Michelangelo, thank you, Laurie. Uh, this is God reaching for man, actually, in Jesus Christ, and this is how it happened. It had to be this way, and this is a one and only. So Mary's told what's going to take place. She knows the, she's not stupid. She knows how people would think. You know, it was said of Moses, and you heard Lisa read it. Hebrews eleven twenty six. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for his reward. Mary realized that she was going to face reproach. But here's her response to this announcement from the angel. Behold. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If you get no farther than that this morning, are you going through a hard thing? Can you ask God to bring you to the point where you would say to him, let it be to me according 
to your word. What an example Mary is. How did Christmas introduce Mary to a crisis? Well, virgin birth was hard to explain. And she embraced it with all of her might and took upon the reproach of Christ and went forward. What an example. Now, secondly, then, what issues are we confronted with in embracing Jesus? Just what does the call to follow Jesus entail? Any Baptist preacher worth his salt would call you to follow Jesus. Well, Eric, what's involved in following Jesus? What will I face in following Jesus? What issues are we confronted with in embracing Jesus? And the question before us is, are we leaning into it this Christmas at Calvary Baptist Church? Watch to see how Mary's four issues are our four issues. What she had to surmount to embrace Christ is what we have to surmount as well to embrace him in our day. Issue number one, we have to embrace the supernatural. Look at verse 37. How can these things be? The Lord helped her gently. He told her something she didn't know through the angel in telling her that her cousin Elizabeth, who was an older woman, past the age of bearing children, uh, had been barren, is the word in the text, all of her life, childless, and God gave her conception. She's now six months in gestation. And so to assure Mary, she doesn't ask for it, but God gives it. So once you go visit Elizabeth, you'll find she's, she's with child. The barren woman is with child. God has visited her. But then he says, and she's astounded, how will these things be? By the way, there's different ways to ask God how. Zacharias asked how in an unbelieving way and uh, was struck dumb till John the Baptist was born. Mary asked how in an affirming way of trust, but just bewilderment. And God gave her grace to explain how it was going to take place. Isn't that interesting? For nothing will be impossible with God. What are you facing this morning? Why don't we write right over the top of what you're facing? Right over the anxiety that is in your heart. Right over this harrowing moment of threat. For nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 37, the first thing that Mary had to face, and it's what we have to face in coming to Jesus, we have to face the supernatural. The origin of Jesus is a one and only. Eric, what kind of a strange thing do you believe? I'll tell you what we believe. We believe that Jesus had a virgin birth. An amazing miracle of the power of God manifest in human agency, Mary, and his power to create. And the eternal Son of God came into human history in the Christ child, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, the origin of Jesus makes him a one and only. It also makes him a prophet greater than John the Baptist. Now, Luke puts their birth narratives right next to each other. First, John the Baptist, then Jesus. And you read John the Baptist, and by all standards of analysis, John the Baptist's birth is not natural. 
it's within the natural order, a woman past childbearing age is given the capacity and facility, and she's given conception. That's an act of God. But the natural order, Zacharias fathered John the Baptist. The living God himself is the father of the Son of God. While John the Baptist had an extraordinary birth, Jesus Christ had a supernatural birth. And it makes him the greater prophet. Laid side by side, you see his eminency. Godet said, the birth of John the Baptist, like that of Isaac, was due to a higher power. But it did not certainly transcend the limits of the natural order. It is otherwise with the birth of Jesus. Hence, this birth is the beginning of the world to come. There's something extraordinary about the birth of Jesus. Now, we live in a world committed to scientism. Uh, and scientism is actually a religion. It, people make ultimate commitments. Science knows everything. Science has all the answers. We live in a closed system. There is no God. All natural laws govern everything going on. And by the way, we've figured it all out. We understand everything that goes on. That's the world in which we live. That's the party line in science, in uh, government education. God entered our world supernaturally in Jesus Christ. And so to come to Jesus Christ, you have to embrace the supernatural. Jesus had a supernatural origin of virgin birth. Secondly, we must clasp our inability to relate to God on our own terms. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 30. He came to her, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Look at verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, the Roman Catholics take the position that Mary now, having been resurrected, where do we read that? It is in heaven, and we appeal to Mary, and uh, she will bless us. She's the blessor. And they use this passage and say, look, she, she's... She's the blessor. And now we, you know, Hail Mary. And we, we, we say our Hail Marys. But in the text, this is framed in the passive voice. You say, Eric, passive voice? What in the world's a passive voice? I don't remember eighth grade grammar either. Well, I didn't get it from Mrs. Pallant, although I remember her trying to help me get it. And, and then I, I, I started to get drugged through it in high school Spanish, you know, trying to learn English backwards and realized that I didn't understand conjugations and you know, finally hit on it in the New Testament Greek and began to understand grammar a little bit more. The passive voice is a voice, a verbal stem that can be a participle, where the actor is not the subject, but the subject receives the action. So what is being described here in this favor is that Mary is the recipient of favor. The direction the favor is going is toward Mary, not from Mary. So that Mary is one who received the favor rather than Mary being one who 
gave the favor. It's framed in the passive voice. She's a recipient. She's identified as the one to receive grace. She's the one favored, not the favoror. Mary had to realize that at the center of God's relatedness to her was God, not her. Mary had to realize that at the center of God's relatedness to her was God's initiative to her, not her initiative to God. Remember, it was God who knocked on the door of her life in this angel, just like his spirit knocks on the door of our hearts and invites us to himself. What a gracious, initiating God. It's a monument to grace, not Mary. Now, by the way, Protestants have been afraid of Mary because of how the Roman Catholic Church treats Mary. Mary is extraordinary. We ought to appreciate Mary. I mean, you get to verse 38 and ask yourself, is that me? Is that how I would have responded? Mary's extraordinary. But she's a sinful human, just like us, who found salvation in the person of her son. Jesus Christ, our Lord. The hero is God and his reaching grace and, fairy, and favor, not Mary and her character. So we have to embrace the supernatural. Number two, we are required to face our fears in the scandal of Jesus. Number three, we are required, yep, yeah, I'm sorry, we must clasp our inability to relate to God on our terms. Number three, we are required to face our fears in the scandal of Jesus. Look at 29 and 30. Verse 35, verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary. By the way, this is a common repeated phrase when encountering God. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know what God says to our fears today? Don't, don't be afraid. What are you facing? Just hear that. You need that today. All kinds of fears surround coming to Jesus. We come to him by faith and not by sight. I can see you. I know you. I know the sounds of many of your voices, and I can recognize you. I don't relate to Jesus that way. I relate by faith, not by sight or senses, although the Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit that I am a son of God. So there is a a, a witness that the Spirit of God brings to his own and a relatedness uh, or what Dane Ortland calls a supernaturalized relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. You know, you say, well, Eric, if, if it's by faith, how do we know it's true? Pascal, the great French mathematician, wrote in Penzis uh, in a chapter called The Great Wager that actually faith is a great bet. And we've hung it all on the character of God who cannot lie and who levied the promise. And there it hangs. See, Eric, what are we going on? We're going on him and his integrity. A God who cannot lie has offered a word that speaks truth to us. So we have to face our fears. The number one fear that many face is the fear of rejection. Newsflash. Our culture's favorite is not Jesus. In fact, the present cultural punching bag is gospel Christianity, sometimes described as evangelical faith. All those evangelicals. We are 
purported to be the non-science, the fools, uh, the fringe deplorables. And so we fear rejection. Jesus is a scandal to our present culture. 1 Corinthians 2.23, the preaching of the cross is scandalous. That's literally the word. The word in the original sounds like this, scandalous. It's a stumbling block. Well, what's a stumbling block? Here's a definition out of the Greek lexicon. Anything that arouses prejudice or becomes a hindrance to others or causes them to fall away. Well, bring that up. Bring Jesus up at your next university class and see how that goes. Bring it up. Bring Jesus Christ up in your next faculty meeting at university or your next conversation with your workmate. Uh, the party line is that uh, Jesus is not received. Do we recognize what a scandal gospel Christianity has become to our culture? What? You mean you believe there's a creator? Yeah, pff, that doesn't make any sense. You're an idiot. Oh, really? You either believe that God created everything that is or nothing created everything that is. Now, which is the most incredulous? You believe God created man in, in his own image, in the image of God created he them, male and female he created. You, you, you believe that gender is a construct ordained by God and it comes in creation? Well, you're, you're an idiot. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You believe in a marital construct uniquely designed by God of a man and a woman? Yeah. Wow, are you behind history? You're behind the curve. It is now a scandal and a reproach to believe fundamental things that God has revealed for our good. And so to embrace Christ, one is required to lay hold of the scandal of Jesus. We're back to Moses' choice in Hebrews 12, 26. He chose the reproach of Christ. In fact, the author of the book of Hebrews will go on and say in Hebrews 13, 13, let us therefore go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. In coming to Christ, we must renounce all lesser allegiances. We are required to face our fears in the scandal of Jesus. How's it going where you are? Increase our courage, Lord. Isn't Isaac Watts right? Finally, we are called to receive God's word with a trusting heart. This is verse 38. One of the most extraordinary statements in all of Scripture from a model respondent. Unbelievable. Here's her response to virgin birth and this startling appointment with Gabriel. If that wasn't enough, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, this is the incarnation of that old hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Remember the next line? Just to T. 
take him at his word. That's where she is. You say, where is Mary in Luke 1? She's right there. And the question before us is, are we right there? Is that where we are? This week, there was an abortion argument at the Supreme Court. The Hobbs versus Mississippi case. The justices ask both sides this question. Roe was 1973, Casey was 1992. Is there any wiggle room in Roe and Casey so that we can maintain the law but pare back its nature in whether that is uh, how many weeks we're going to allow abortion or not? Is, there, is it all or nothing or is there middle ground? Both sides said this. There is no middle ground. It's all or nothing. Now, when it comes to Jesus, there's no middle ground. It's all or it's nothing. You say, you know, I like Jesus up until the point at which I start getting the reproach. Then Jesus is not as good to me as, as, as before the reproach started. You know, Jesus is nice. You know what Mary said? Let it be to me according to your word. Are you all in? Are you hedging your bets? Mary hedges nothing. She announces her embrace. Full-throated, this little teen girl, in the face of what she was going to face as she went through the rest of her teens and through her adult life, she said this, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Do we understand the implicit trust and obedience that is modeled by her? Is that what we understand at this church? Do we understand faith is to just take him at his word? Eric, give me another illustration. What does that look like just to take him at his word and machinate through the suffering and the difficulties and the reproach and the struggles that we face in a broken world? Need another example in this moment? How about Tim Keller? Retired now pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City. Stage four pancreatic cancer. On Thursday, he had another chemo treatment. He tweeted this about 10 days ago. It is endlessly comforting to have a God who is both infinitely more wise and more loving than I am. He has plenty of good reasons for everything he does and allows that I cannot know. And therein is my hope and strength. Having a God who in some ways is beyond our comprehension, especially regarding evil and suffering, is more of a spiritual strength than it is an intellectual problem. Keller's response is a page out of Mary, the mother of Jesus' playbook. I will take from him what he has given. I will trust him and go forward. Yes, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Is that us at Calvary? Is that us in a crisis? Is God asking you to trust him at a deeper level this morning? With God, nothing. Is impossible. Father, thank you for the story of Christmas, this history which speaks to our hearts. 
Thank you for Mary and her example. We are challenged, Lord. We are seduced to cower away from a culture that rejects the person of Jesus Christ. Mary stood right in the gap, took the reproach, and honored you with her faith and her life. Make us like Mary. Father, I think of the man that I was speaking to this week in asking if he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ or if that was an open question. Told me it was an open question. Oh, Father, for those who have never embraced Jesus with all of their might, help them embrace Jesus Christ this morning as their personal Savior. For young people, not unlike Mary's age, who are kind of trending away from Jesus because it's hard and you face reproach and it's embracing the supernatural, Lord, help them forward. Show them the worth of a faithful life given to you with abandon. I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.